I'm looking for a blockhead. Yep, in my white tee, I break a bitch back and I keep a big bank. Oh, I think they like that. Before I leave the house, yeah, I'm slizzing on the goose and I'm hiding a plane. So a nigga really loose and I can lean with it and I can rock with it. And if you got a fish, you gotta suck the cock with it. Hey, go and rock with it. Go and lean with it. album on top of our game uh i feel like that song is truly a classic and it will forever get me dancing like as soon as that like that sharp pitch hits and that first beat and the snap comes through you got to get moving uh it's one that many of the times when you hear it Somebody gonna start dancing for sure. <laughs> hey, what's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren with Said Talk. Get it? Like TED Talk, but it's me. Couple things. So I introduced the topics on Wednesday, so we're gonna get into it. First, uh, I wanna get into the college football playoff real quick. Uh, I just wanna say that I'm happy with the rankings. LSU definitely deserved to be number one. Ohio State at number two is right. Clemson at three, Oklahoma at four. Uh, I definitely said that Oklahoma would slide in there if they wanted out. Um, I'm still kind of frustrated because Oregon really had the opportunity to be in that number four spot. And I feel like out of the rest of the teams between Utah, Oregon, Oklahoma, Baylor, they were the best team to potentially actually put up a fight. I don't think Oklahoma uh, can handle Ohio State's offense. Their defense is better, but it's not what it used to be. Um, it's still not you know up to par to really stop Ohio State. Uh, I don't think Ohio State is that good. They've only played a couple ranked teams, and while they've blown out a lot of people, a lot of those teams are not that good. So uh, I feel like the best matchup we're going to see is in the national championship game when LSU and Clemson play each other. I'm inclined to take LSU as a national champion. Here's why. Joe Burrow is playing at the Heisman level. He's going to win the Heisman. There's my Heisman pick. Uh, that team just is gritty. They're fighting, man. And I think they're fighting for Coach O to show people that, like, yo, this is the right guy uh, who you made the good choice. You made the right choice to have this guy in place. Uh, so I, I definitely think there's something about that. Nonetheless, Clemson is very talented. Uh, John Ross, Higgins, their wide receiver year, Travis Atien at running back. Of course, Trevor Lawrence are playing at very high levels. All these guys are going to be first round draft picks. I feel like Trevor Lawrence is going to be uh, your 2021 number one draft pick, hands down. He's got the height, he can run, he's got the size, uh, he can throw. Uh, he's getting better at reading defenses. And I think his interceptions are up this year just because he has gotten better, but he's taking a little more chances uh, on some of the throws. And a lot of them, too, are probably tip balls sometimes, too. So those I don't think should count against the quarterback. They should against as a, a, truly a drop for the receiver, and uh, they should make a way to find that stat. But like I said, my pick is LSU versus Clemson for the national championship, and LSU is my winner. I'm going with the Death Valley down in Baton Rouge. That would be a battle of Death Valley. So, all right. That's my that's my football update there. Um, also, I just want to say this too. In a couple of weeks, we'll have a special guest, and we will talk about uh, some more college football things and all the hundreds of bowls that they have. So we'll give you some picks and things like that. So stay tuned for that. All right. So we are into our first topic, and as I mentioned, it is why is why the early two thousands music and fashion was the greatest of all time, right? So I'm considering two thousand to two thousand nine as that time period, with two thousand ten and two thousand eleven getting like honorable mentions. Okay. So the music it brought us some of our favorite music of all time, right? 
music that you and I still know the words to to this day. So if you hear a song, I promise you, if you hear a song 15 years from now that was released in like 2018 and hear a song that was released in like 2002, I guarantee you probably that song you would have heard in 2002, you'll probably still remember the words to. I know I do. I found a playlist on Apple and I still know the words to. It was like 100 songs on there. And I could probably say confidently I knew the words to like 85% of the songs that were on there. Today, I don't know if that's just possible. Um, so all these are like tracks that, you know, when you hear them, you know what I'm saying? You're going to start moving. The intro song being one of them. You know what I'm saying? You know the words to all that. You snap, you lean, you rock, all that. All right. So here are a couple reasons why. All right. I'm going to give you uh, my point and then I'm going to give you some supporting evidence. Right. Uh, first reason. 2000s music gave us so many styles, right? And I'm talking about hip hop and rap and R&B. Uh, across the board, I think it's still phenomenal, okay? Uh, pop music, rock music, um, alternative, all that stuff. But across the board, it's it, I think it's undefeated. But specifically today, we're gonna talk about hip hop, rap, and R&B. Uh, so we had party tracks, we had hardcore, you know what I'm saying, like those hardcore rappers or whatever, lyricists, dance tracks, uh, you had trap music, you had crunk music, crunk music ain't dead, uh, you, you had the snap rap or snap music uh, coming out of Atlanta, which was a, uh, I guess you could say after uh, predecessor, of, not predecessor, uh, it was a, you know, an afterthought of uh, crunk music, right? Uh, and then you just had great R&B collabs, right? You had artists coming from the East Coast, down South, Midwest, West Coast, of course, like all over. So you got a good genre of people and music styles coming in there. With the South, I think, really taking over, especially with Atlanta being the hub of um, Southern hip hop, of course. All those uh, producers, DJs, artists coming out of Atlanta, uh, it really made a difference. So we had dances, right? You had a chicken head. We was doing A-Town Stomp. We was doing Hilltop. We was doing Harlem Shake. And the original Harlem Shake, not that like random video with that techno music where you don't move. And then in a second or two, the screenshots change and the beat drops and people are dancing in like random um, <laughs> random costumes and stuff like that. Now, the original Harlem Shake, uh, the motorcycle, that's the Young Jock dance. Uh, Lean with it, rock with it, pool palace, crank that. We was cranking everything from two. 2006 to 2009 or whatever, we was cranking everything. Soldier Boy, uh, the cranking the Batman, the Lion King, cranked that Yank. Uh, Soldier Boy introduced a whole new era of rap and getting people noticed on YouTube in that digital era. Uh, and I think you, you what you see now is the result of that, as that digital era. Uh, artists uh, walk it out. You know what I'm saying? So uh, just a lot of varieties, right? Then the groups, right? So we can talk about the groups, groups and labels, right? So uh, we're talking about some of the originators like Master P, No Limit Soldiers, and then Cash Money, uh, Cash Money Millionaires. You have the Hot Boys, uh, Big Timers, you know what I'm saying? So those are some of the originals uh, that I can think of. G-Unit, St. Ludentics, Diplomats, Terror Squad, uh, Rockefeller Records, of course, Murder, Inc., uh, Lil John Eastside Boys. Then you got a little bit into later into, and like I said, 2010, 2011 gets the honorable mentions. People like Travis Porter and Young Money. Uh, they gave us phenomenal music, man. Uh, and just some artists to talk about too throughout that. Jeezy, right? We got the birth of Thug Motivation 
101 right there. Gucci, plenty of albums, plenty of mixtapes, you know what I'm saying? I feel like Jay-Z gave us two of his best albums in the 2000s with Blueprint and the Black Album, uh, 01 and 03 respectively. Uh, Missy Elliott, songs like Get Your Freak On, you know, I mean, just countless others. Uh, Ja Rule, hate them or love them, you know what I'm saying? Ja was one of my favorite artists uh, back in the day. Uh, I really liked his music, so again, uh, Young Jock, Yin Yang Twins, even Bow Wow, you know what I'm saying? Mr. 106 in Park. <laughs> uh, Lupe Fiasco for like the skater guys, you know what I'm saying? The franchise boys, you know, so all those people were contributors and so many more. I mean, it, the list could go on. I could do a whole just talk basically on this whole topic right there. So uh, that's that. All right, second reason, we'll get into that. R&B, right? So we all know like 90s R&B is undefeated. Boys to Men, you know, you had a new edition coming into there. Uh, a lot of great artists, right? Uh, but the 2000s had some good artists as well. I think the spirit of the artists from the 90s carried into the 2000s. And then we had new ones spring up, right? So people like A. Marie, Ashanti, Lloyd, uh, Fantasia, you know, just a lot of different people. Neo, um, who's one of my favorite artists, uh, came into the scene and really kind of took the spirit of, I think, 90s R&B, which was very vulnerable. Uh, just showed people's heart being broken and how they felt and they was crying and snot, like that ugly cry in them songs. Like when you hear... Uh, end of the road or on bended knee from boys and men like you think of like the ugly cry that like dude is outside old girl window with the boom box and he crying and singing and yeah all that that's what i think about but i think some of that came into the 2000s and i think we produced some good stuff um faith evans even came in there and still dropped some good music too um from the bad boy um label as well we got the rise of beyonce's solo career all right so all to the to the beehive you know what i'm saying the 2000s birthed that destiny's child was phenomenal and they gave us great music and great tracks but when beyonce went solo with the crazy in love album she really snapped you know what i'm saying and as i haven't seen her in concert but i've heard she's amazing and as just someone who appreciates music she drops fire tracks uh, from the producers. I don't know if Jay-Z is on it all the time, but whoever she works with and decides to work with, like, it's fire. And for the record, I'm going to come on here and say it. The Before I Let Go remix that she's got, or whatever you want to call it, uh, she, like, she bodied that, okay? She did a great job with that. Nobody else could have done what she did with that track. Nobody. For a, a, a group as legendary as Frankie Beverly, Frankie Beverly, <laughs> Frankie Beverly and the Maze, uh, I think she really did a, a good job. And speaking of remixes, we got remixes in 2000s, right? So think about, like, I Need a Girl Part 1 and then I Need a Girl Part 2. Those were essentially the same song. But then they just switched up the beat. New artists on there. They went from Diddy and Usher to Diddy, Genuine, Loon. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. Oh, and how can I forget one of my favorite groups and labels, Bad Boy Records, man. Uh, I think I wanted to be Diddy so bad growing up. I just loved his swag, his style. I had Sean John clothing, shirts, jeans, everything. <laughs> uh, but the R&B groups we talking about, we can talk about Jagged Edge. You know, And like I said, some of these people got started. They were founded in the 90s, but like they really exploded in the 2000s and they gave us our best music um so jagged edge rihanna alicia keys so think about songs in a minor diary of alicia keys um of course beyonce like i mentioned chris brown 
regardless of his personal life and whatever else he got going on, um, a man is giving us some great music, great dance music, uh, just good R&B. I think he can, he's not a like true like singer singer, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he can sing. Uh, he's not going to necessarily beat out some of the other artists that I might mention, but you know, like Usher or somebody like that, but, or Nia, but he's talented nonetheless. Uh, he can dance his ass off for real. Uh, one of the best dancers I've ever seen. Um, who else? Let's see. Sierra. Um, you know, everybody's always talking about praying Sierra's prayer because she got Russell Wilson and got away from future. So uh, Usher, man, Usher gave us 8701 and Confessions, two of the best R&B albums I've ever heard. I promise you, I've listened to a lot of music and I feel like those are two of the best I've ever heard. Confessions, man, like I, I remember that dropping like it's yesterday. Um, and I have a range of listeners, so I'm speaking from my age when this song, uh, the album dropped. Uh, I was a freshman in high school when Confessions dropped. So some of y'all were full-fledged adults, some of y'all were younger, or some of y'all the same age as me, so it's all good. Um, but you know, it's it's still the thing about it is that I can listen to all these, all this music, all these artists now, artists now and still know the words still get the same feelings that I got of youthful being you know young in love or just you know growing up and, and I think that's the kind of the nostalgia and the greatness that I associate with 2000s music because it was definitely a part of my childhood young adult life as well too so um that's the great thing about it. Uh, there's so many more. Like I said, there's so many more artists I can mention, but I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, then lastly, to, to, to for the music spot, music videos, TV shows like Cedar's World, Rap City to Basement, 106 and Park, like the Freestyle Friday when people would actually rap in the raps on the on the show and then Rap City's Basement, you know what I'm saying, when people would get in the booth. Like I've heard amazing freestyles from the rap CD in the basement. And I feel like battle rap or what they call it now and these cyphers are not that good, man. People don't flow like they used to. Um, man, we would we would come home from school or whatever and then do our chores, do homework, and then be ready to watch the same like 10 videos premiere we day after day. So Monday through Friday, we were waiting to watch 106 in Park uh, to see maybe one or two changes at like the bottom two or the top two or whatever. So you know, uh, so with all that, let's get into the fashion part too, right? Um, it was like a beautiful nightmare <laughs> of fashion in 2000s, right? Uh, you can look back at it and be like, what was I wearing? Or man, like this was just a, a very interesting time. Athletic wear was king, right? So the more of it you had, the fresher you were. Uh, you know, we were wearing still wearing J's, of course, you know what I'm saying? But I think so many more people had shoes, uh, you know, so that as well. And then throwback jerseys of every league, NBA, NFL, MLB, uh, it probably even seems NHL jerseys worn. Uh, a lot of artists rep the sports teams from where they were from, so New York, St. Louis, um, Florida, Atlanta, of course, West Coast, and, and Los Angeles, so all those were being worn. Uh, jerseys were worn backwards too, right? Headbands, do rags, fitteds. I think my fitted uh, obsession started probably around my freshman year of high school, maybe a little bit after. My brother got me uh, fitted for my birthday. And uh, I loved it, man. I wore it all the time. It was a uh, black Blue Jays hat. Um, and I wore it all the time. Then I got a Detroit Tigers one. 
shortly after. In between those two, I was rocking them all the time. So uh, that just became my thing for a long time. So now I'm into more of the the dad hats and the things like that. So I'm still very much a hat wearer. wearer. Uh, Jabodes, I know you're thinking like, man, yep, I had a pair of Jabodes. Fat Farm, Rock Aware, G-Unit Clothing, Sean John, Baby Fat, Aniche, Echo, Vocal, all those. Um, y'all was wearing all of them, okay? The velour suits, the puffy jacket with the fur on it, ladies had those or whatever. Uh, so, jersey dresses, yeah, I know y'all was wearing jersey dresses. Uh, whoever came up with that idea, man, they, that's a staple for real. That's a staple of the 2000s for sure. Uh, getting back to the shoes, Iversons uh, had his shoe, of course, Jordans. I think T Mac had a shoe too, McGrady. Definitely know Kobe had one. His first shoes were ugly, they were with Adidas and they were trash. Uh, Michael Vick. Shout out to Mike Vick, man, for still being uh, the Pro Bowl captain, too. That's another conversation for another day. The Colorful Tims, I know y'all had those. Uh, they had, like, white and a different color. It'd be, like, white and red, white and blue, uh, tan and blue, or whatever. They just had a ton of colors. Um, so I know y'all had those, too. I remember seeing those for sure. I'm going to pull out some yearbook photos and stuff like that on uh, Facebook and, and show y'all. Uh, another thing to think about was the double shirts, right? And then you would roll the sleeve so you could see the different colors you had on too. Um, those are usually plain tees that you would throw on a fitted or something else to go with it. So, uh, yep. Tall tees, the plain tee uh, era. Shout out to everybody that wore a tall tee. You're all of 5'7", but you got a, a tall tee on that's dragging to your knees. It made no sense. Like I said, it's a beautiful nightmare. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious to look back on. Airbrush tees, we all had them too, man. I know those were popular. I had a couple. I think I got one made for homecoming my sophomore year. Uh, there's a picture somewhere on Facebook with it on. Uh, shades in the club at night. I think that's later, 2000s, I say, close, closer to 2009. I think I was in college. Everybody's doing that. The Stunner Shades. Made a whole song about it, right? Uh, Air Force Ones, especially with the multicolored strings, you do like the little bob and weave in, in it. Um, whole song made after that, man. So it was crazy. Uh, but that athletic wear was king. So then about like 2004, 2005, we started seeing this transition into more of a fresher, more grown look. And I think that became uh, part of the scene when Kanye came out. So he was wearing blazers, polos and sweaters with his jeans, but still had like the bigger cut jeans and stuff like that as well. Uh, So we traded in backwards throwbacks for a polo with a collar popped, right? Uh, <laughs> button up jeans and forces uh, when you stepped out for a college night at Dreams. So one time for my folk from USC, of course. Plaid shorts, Sperry's and polos. Uh, there's a Facebook picture or video of me, like I think strolling in some plaid shorts. It's probably a couple on Facebook. Um, so yeah, but the 2000s had as fresh as we could be, man. We leaned and rocked, felt crazy in love. G-I-T-I-G-I-G-I. G-Z-T-I and Gucci had us feeling like we were trappers, of course. So, you know, um, I think the music just evokes so many feelings. And and I and I I miss it. <laughs> it was a great time. So let's bring back uh, the 2000s, man. I, I promise you it will make us a whole lot better. Uh, so another thing I want to get into, topic two. 
um, is something I'm very passionate about and working on changing. And that's black kids and non-traditional sports. And when I mean non-traditional sports, I'm talking about anything outside of like basketball, football, and possibly track to uh, those sports where African-Americans truly just dominate the population. Uh, so I'm talking about golf, right? I'm talking about soccer. I'm talking about baseball and softball. I'm talking about lacrosse. Uh, tennis, you know, we, you know, Serena has and Venus have been dominating since the mid nineties for over 20 years. Uh, same thing with Tiger. He won his first masters in 1997. Yet we haven't seen another golfer look like him now play like him. That's going to be tough. You know what I'm saying? Cause he's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, if not the greatest, uh, but just more that look like him, we have not seen. Um, so the question is, why aren't we playing? I can tell you that part of it is a barrier issue, right? We talk about uh, the ability to access a lot of the equipment and other things that are needed to play these sports. Uh, lacrosse equipment, soccer equipment, baseball equipment can be very expensive. Um, so those that's one thing, right? And then the, just the exposure to these sports. Many of the times the neighborhoods and areas that are uh, open to playing other sports aren't getting the necessary exposure to them. So how many community centers are offering soccer, you know, on the east side of Indy where I live, where there's more of us or uh, off of North Main or downtown where there's more concentrated African-American populations. Um, in Georgia, they recently had an all-black golf team win the win the state championship for this year. And it's the first time an Atlantic public school has won it. And it's the first time that an all black team has won it, you know? So we've been playing golf for years. Okay. We've been playing golf for a very long time. And I know this because somehow, some way we were the caddies, of course, for a lot of these white golfers and we learned and picked up the game and somebody had to teach our fathers, our grandfathers and our great grandfathers as well. So we've been playing for a long time, but yet and still we've only had Tiger really to see and then now we're just seeing this all black team um, do that. So what can really draw kids into these sports, right? Um, outside of focusing on football and basketball. Um, I've written an article uh, about it and I'll talk to you about that in a second, but I wanna get into how I'm working to change this dynamic of black kids only in football and basketball, basically. Uh, I have an organization, it's called Palmetto Pride Sports. It's based in Columbia, South Carolina. The pride stands for perseverance, responsibility, integrity, determination, and excellence. Five things that I believe my parents really instilled in me growing up. They weren't necessarily saying like, these are things that make you successful, but through the lessons that I learned, looking back, uh, I feel like these five things are what they tried to really instill in me to be the best person I could be. So Palmetto Pride uh, Sports seeks to provide minority youth with access to club and travel sports competitions while developing versatile citizens through education, exposure, and empowerment. So we established in 2018. We've been operating since 2019. Uh, we're a low-cost club and travel sports organization located in Columbia, but we're also expanding to Indianapolis, Indiana, where I cur currently live as well. Uh, we provide minority youth who play sports with low minor minority representation uh, access to these club and travel sports which can be very expensive um, got the inside scoop on club volleyball that can be two thousand dollars per season 
you know, I don't know how many people just have $2,000 laying around uh, just to toss at, you know, a sports season uh, on top of, you know, traveling and all that, the time that's associated with it as well. But um, so that's the reason my organization is is in play. Uh, and like I said, so one of the things I'm doing now, of course, on top of fundraising is also looking to find some board members to support my organization. And the purpose of that is to really establish a strong presence in the communities that we hope to represent and serve. Um, so if you're interested in serving on this board and you're interested in learning more about my organization, uh, please drop me an email at smwarren1906 at outlook.com. Just mention Palmetto Pride Sports in the in the uh, subject line and we'll definitely set up a time to talk and I can get you some more information on that. Um, please check out my website at palmettopridesports.org. Uh, follow us on Instagram at palmettopride803. And of course, like I said, if you're interested in donating or if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, um, I'm looking for sponsorship to really help this uh, organization out. Um, please let me know. You can shoot me that email. We're not just about sports. Like I said, we're, we're also looking to develop versatile citizens. And like I said, education, exposure, and empowerment. I want to show these kids that they can be more than what they just see on TV or what they think or somebody has told them. Um, so that's the important piece there. All right. So moving on to one of my last topics, too. I want to talk about the work-life balance. Okay. Um, does this exist? You know, what is it and how can you achieve it? Uh, it's a concept that expresses a need for a healthy relationship between the time you're at work or working and your outside life, right? So you're at your job for a couple hours, eight hours or whatever, then what are you doing outside? Is your work life dominating the opportunity for you to do things outside? Um, so how many of you experienced, how many of y'all have ex experienced that unbalance? Uh, so let me know in the comments, of course. Uh, I know I have. When I first started working after college and while I was in college, too, for a little bit at the hospital, Palmetto Health Baptist, which is now Presma Health, <laughs> um, I worked a lot. And, and it wasn't until people I left there and people were talking to me and be like, I never used to see you a lot. You know what I'm saying? After we graduated, because you were always working. And I was like, yeah, I would be working an eight hour shift, go home at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, wake up at seven and, and work a 16 hour shift. Uh, because I needed money and many of it, much of it drived paying back my student loans. So um, I want to know how well your supervisors or your company does with this. And if you are a supervisor or a manager that manages people and their time off, how do you manage uh, allowing your people to take time off? Um, if they tell you they need extra time off or may not have it, you know what I'm saying? I know that exists too. What is your PTO like? You know, I know when I was at DHEC, I had uh, annual leave, sick leave, um, and could actually do some comp time too as well. Um, so I had that. Now I just get a, a gang of hours uh, per month. So every time I get paid, I get about 20 hours per month. Um, so Microsoft uh, tried something out new too, right? Uh, they tried out a four-day work week to study the effects on productivity and creativity in their employees. And this was based over in Japan, I believe. Um, but after their study, I think they studied so many thousands of people in over a month or two, um, they increased the productivity by 40% after closing every Friday in August in 2019. Uh, I'm with that. I feel like your weekend should be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because if you get off at five, pick up your kids or go to practice or whatever, by the time 
you know, you're home, you know, your Friday's over, then you have Saturday, and then by afternoon, Sunday, two, three o'clock, you're like, man, I gotta go to work Monday. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't even really feel like you get a lot of time off, especially if you like to travel places too, like I do. One of the other things they did was a 30 minute limit on meetings and encourage uh, remote work as well. Uh, I truly believe that's the age we're in and what we need to go more towards. Um, four day work week also dropped in uh, a usage of electricity and printing. So there's a sustainability component to it as well. Uh, when I talk about sustainability, I mean about environmental sustainability. So less use of electricity and of course, um, saving paper. Um, so this is gonna vary by industry, of course. Some industries need to work more than four days a week. Um, but I feel like a lot of the ones that are the foundation of our uh, country and a lot of places that most of us work could work four days a week and be okay. I really do believe that. Um, uh, and and on top of that, productivity, like I said, uh, it says it increased productivity, but I don't think productivity productivity really lives between like that 830 and 5 realm. Um, for me, I know that there's various times of the day where I can be just as uh, productive. Uh, I can be productive from 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock. I can be productive from, you know, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. You know, um, I think we should measure the amount of work that's done or the effectiveness of work versus just the time that we're there. Um, I do believe that much of that is just based off of just old work practices, and I think we can achieve better ones. Uh, I think as a manager, what I hope to do as I grow would be to know the strengths and weaknesses of my employees and really play to that and take care of them so that they are able to be their best at all times. Um, everybody doesn't need to be in the office all the time. I know I don't. I even like to be in the office all the time. So <laughs> uh, I know for me, like some days I just I would just work better at home if I could play some music, have ESPN on and then just go to work, answer emails, do some phone calls and stuff like that. We're so remote already and digital. I, I believe we don't even need a lot of offices and have everybody in there at all the time. Um, so. Of course, like I said, that's going to vary and that's going to be very on trust levels. There's a lot of other factors, but I like what Microsoft did. I would love to work a four day work week, even if it meant working four 10 hour shifts. I would totally do that. Uh, that's nothing. So. All right. Uh, that was my last topic. So we're going to move on to the last segment. With that being said, I offer you some advice. Uh, I want to make sure I'm as transparent as possible with you all on the show. I believe sharing stories and experiences, good or bad, is important to that. I want you all to be able to listen to this podcast, of course, and laugh, uh, think about things, be inspired, reminisce, and of course, learn some things, of course, too. Uh, that's really a, the purpose of me getting started with the set Talks. Uh, so I wanted to share with you all a fear I have, and it's a fear of success. Uh, it's born in self-doubt, something I've struggled with for a while. Uh, and let me preface that I don't really have self-esteem issues. It's not that type of self-doubt. Uh, I see myself as a good person. I'm confident in myself. I see myself in a positive light. I don't really have like body issues or anything like that and other things you might associate with self-esteem. Um, and I believe other people see me in a good and positive light as well, too. So I know that's reflective of how you see yourself. Uh, but my self-doubt lives in a space involving my in pursuing my passions. Um, I know I can. I know I can be successful. Hell, I got two degrees. Okay, um, my first one was 
you know, it took me five years. Shout out to all the five-year people, super seniors who did that extra lap, uh, but we got it. And then I have a master's degree and I did that straight through, no breaks, <laughs> two years online. Um, but I do tend to second guess myself and I think that's where the self-doubt begins. Um, I know I've mentioned on here about how important it is to pursue those passions of yours and those things that you want to do. And I wholeheartedly believe you should, but I, I feel like I did you a disservice because I did not add that it can and oftentimes will be difficult. Uh, it's going to have bumps. It's going to have roadblocks. It's going to have a lot of obstacles at times, too. Uh, but it'll be worth it when you get through. Uh, Steve Harvey has a great talk, um, and I'll post it in the comments. And he talks about jumping and seeing what God has for you when you do that. Um, many of you know my testimony. I've shared it, how I got here to Indianapolis or whatever. And, um, you know, I truly believe when you step out on faith, God's going to look out for you. Uh, but like he said in that in that um, video, in that speech, uh, you're going to hit some rocks. You know, you're going to get some skin torn off. It's going to hurt sometimes. You're going to stumble. Uh, but eventually you will soar. And I think sometimes that is what uh, we forget to, to consider. Um, so my fear of success is this, right? I have dreams, I have goals, and they scare me, and as they should, right? If they're not scaring you, then they're not big enough. Um, I just spoke about my nonprofit and its purpose. I've been told that it's a large undertaking opening in two states. Uh, I've been told it's a th big thing to have this type of model. You know, you're basically taking away the revenue coming in. You're offering cheaper uh, things. That's not the best business model, of course. Uh, but I'm not in it to make money. I'm in it to change the culture and change people's lives. Uh, but when I envisioned this whole thing, I didn't envision it to be small. Uh, when I put it on paper, it, it literally took up two pages uh, just with notes and drawings and other things like that. So my fear lies in the what if. What if it's as successful as I dream? What if I truly make this thing the best nonprofit org in the Southeast Midwest, right? Uh, serving minority youth. The what if is what's it's what's scaring me. The fear of the unknown does not just live for bad things, but it also lives in the things that we strive for too, right? I don't know how successful this could be. What if this blows up? Like, what if I become that person that I've always sought myself to be? You know, it's change. Um, so this fear often holds me up from doing things sometimes. Uh, we often say what we want with our mouth, but do we follow up the actions, right, with our own actions? We say, I want to start my own LLC, but have I filed the paperwork? I want to make some extra money, but have I found a side hustle? Uh, the fear of success um, is real. I think it's a real thing. I believe it comes when we envision something much bigger than what we have, and it's uncomfortable because it's changed. It's different. And like all humans, comfort is something we enjoy and being uncomfortable is something we don't enjoy. Um, but I believe trusting in God is one way to get past this. Like I said, I've stepped out on faith before and it's worked. Um, I don't believe God brought me this far just to take his hand off me at this point in this juncture. Um, I really have the opportunity now to put more time and effort into my nonprofit. And like I said, consistency is my theme for 2020. And I believe I'm on a good track to you know continue to work on that as well. Um, I'm not afraid of failure because I failed before I failed of class. I've, you know, <laughs> you know. Failure happens, uh, but the fear of success of what may be and that my dreams may become reality is what kind of scares me. Um, but I can't let this fear paralyze me because I want to leave a legacy on this earth. I want the Warren name to be remembered for generations to come and to be synonymous with love, faith, and service. I want my kids, my grandkids, and those after to be part of a lineage that truly makes a difference in this world. 
So uh, that's me. There I am. All right. Well, that's all I got. I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, be sure to like, listen, and follow. Uh, follow the podcast on SoundCloud. Just be sure to search Said Talk. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at irepta 5 And I'll get at you next week. And we're going to let this dim franchise boys take us out.